Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on July the 17th of 2019. I am Nick, here with Chris, as we continue on our JoJo's Bizarre Pokemon Adventure Tour, Adventure, Journey, Trip, Road Trip. To the moon. The moon is involved a little bit in this story, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also based in your hometown of Florida, Nick. It, hometown yeah I mean, that's 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 what that's that's what florida is it's that's, all just yep. one one backyard community yeah and, i think you passed by i think we see you in a couple shots even though this takes place in the 90s and you'd have been about six yeah, uh, yeah. i think we see there's you there's there's shots. me and my you, there's you me and my groucho marks look right there yeah, yeah you you were one of the 1976 dolphins that they get resurrected <laughs> to attack the heroes with <laughs> Why do they need to be resurrected? <laughs> <laughs> I just do. I really, if anything, they just like, you know, over exaggerate the, uh, you know, amount of driving required to get from Miami to Cape Canaveral. Really? You don't think it's that bad? Do you want to write uh, you, the hero? Be like, you just, hey, or Araki? Be like, hey, dickhead. Learn to drive. Some, you just, you obviously not take an alligator alley if uh, it takes them that long in order to get up to Cape Canaveral. Mm. You should write a very strongly worded letter towards him. Yeah, I'm sure that people haven't talked to uh, Araki about uh, their issues with Part Six ever. Uh, no, <laughs> people. No, go con- up no controversy surrounding this part at all. Nope. Nope. Yeah, nope. 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 Everything nope. was a solid logical train all the way through. Let's get into it. So part six of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean. So this was a different one. Um, different than I was expecting, even knowing what I knew about it. Because I, I, this is our, uh, this is a series, I believe it's the only one so far that has a female Jojo, a female protagonist uh, yes. in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. The only one with the female protagonist and for a period of time also uh, an entirely female cast. Then like halfway through, they're like... Here's, a right. <laughs> here's some dudes. <laughs> some Brodian dudes. Yeah, here's Jotaro again. <laughs> Why not? He's in every other part that he's been in since part three. It's also the first time the protagonist has been a direct descendant of a previous protagonist as well. You know, when you went from Jonathan to Joseph, there was still like a there was a generation between gap. Them. Yeah, and yeah. The same thing with uh, Joseph to jo- Jotaro. Mm-hmm. It just gets weird from there, but Jolene is just directly the son no. or the daughter of Jotaro. Yeah, and that's a big ass. Uh oh. Basically, the the premise of the story is that Jolene has to go to jail because she has not been framed for a crime, but she took all of the blame for uh, something that uh, her boyfriend did. And I I have to admit that there got to a point in the series where I needed to skip around a bit because uh, I wanted to be prepared. Uh, I didn't I didn't like, you know, uh, just say like, oh, I read the 10 chapters and then the end. Like, no, no, I read a really big chunk of this. Does her boyfriend ever come up again after? No, I mean, no, I don't think it's particularly all that important. I mean, it's it's supposed to be, I guess, that that old piece of lore that it's just like stand users are drawn to one another. Right, right. So and he's not like, a stand user. So. so it's like she needed to get here. Stand users are drawn right. to each other. And from there on in, he's just not a significant character. 
essentially what happens is uh, I forget exactly when we learned about this, but uh, she and her boyfriend are driving down the highway and they're talking about how much they, they love each other and stuff. And um, her boyfriend hits a dude and uh, this causes the guy to eventually die. So uh, he convinces her that they need to hide him. They need to pack him into his trunk and they need to take him somewhere else so that it looks like uh, he didn't hit him and kill him. Uh, They get caught, of course. And Jolene's lawyer uh, convinces her that she needs to uh, plead guilty so that, you know, she'll get off light because she's like just turned 19, I think at this point. Uh, And, if she confesses to this, then she won't. She'll just, you know, get like a really light manslaughter charge or something like that. And uh, but it turns out that her lawyer, uh, no, was deliberately trying to get her thrown in jail. This guy's a total dickhead. Uh, and uh, it was all part of this grand conspiracy that the main villain of the story was manipulating uh, so that Jolene would arrive in prison so that he could lure Jotaro to the prison as well. Gasp! <laughs> And do something. So Jolene gets thrown in prison, and uh, while she's being taken to jail, uh, she has her lawyer does do one thing helpful to her uh, because under his uh, or under orders from Jotaro, she he delivers her a package, and there's an amulet uh, in the package that when she opens up, a shard of the uh, stand power granting. Arrow uh, cuts her and grants her her stand ability and her stone ends up being stone free, which is a pretty cool stand. I have to say Uh, she can basically turn part of her body into string and use the string to do all sorts of goddamn stuff, uh, including turning it into a rapid punching stand. Uh, So. Like, so oh, we gotta do that. Come on now. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty standard, you know, JoJo stand in the end, but it has a bunch of other things that she can do on top of that, which I, I really like. I like the way that she uses just her string as opposed to was like, and then I punched it a lot. <laughs> but there's a unique flavor to it, and the, she gets to do some cool stuff. One thing that gets kind of used less and less over time is that it gives her the ability to. Uh, hear things at a distance, communicate things at a distance, and that tends to get used less and less as time goes by. Uh, she actually ends up using it with, you know, like the can and the string thing uh, at one point eventually. So it's that kind of logic of why she can hear stuff, but that gets downplayed pretty cl- pretty uh, quickly. So Jolene, you know, is, gets thrown into this Absurd prison called what? Green Dolphin Prison, I think it's called. Uh, yes. Which is a really strange prison where um, it works by the prisoners sneak money in so that it can have its own economic system. I, it's kind of, Look, a lot of the stuff that has in this series gets kind of just dropped. And I was very disappointed when it got dropped because like this is the thing that gave, made the series unique and interesting to me. And it just kind of goes away because here, uh, you know, Iraqi was like, well, see, this is what the theme of the story was. Okay, if you say so. So 
her lawyer gets killed by her stand uh, because, like, you know, she overhears uh, that he has plotted against her and uh, she gets her revenge on him pretty quickly. Uh, and I have to say that from the get go of this series, I really, really like Jolene. Yes. Uh, she she's a very uh, cool character, very admirable uh, and really like more than a lot of the other Jojos in the franchise. She's very human and relatable. Um, I think a large part of that is that she's the only one who has like a real arc to her. Mm-hmm. Where the closest thing you'd really have to an arc before this was maybe Josuke, like admitting he's okay with his dad, with Joseph and everything like that. But even that wasn't mm-hmm. like a huge turning point for the character. Whereas Jolene at the start of the series is a shallow, self-absorbed, uh, very delicate person. Yeah. And then through the process of all of this, becomes a complete badass who's like. <laughs> You know, it's, it, you just look to like the the scene of her in solitary confinement, and you're like, oh, that's like one hundred percent just the turning point for this character. It's like it's very identifiable. You could point at it. The when like uh, the first time we see her in a cell in the series, she's <sighs> she apparently masturbated the previous night, and she thinks that the guards saw her, and she's really, really, really embarrassed about it. And then later on, she's like, I have to kill everyone who's going to come and assassinate me so that I can get this thing to rescue my father. And then she like deliberately got herself thrown into solitary confinement in order to do this stuff. And she there's a lot of Jolene deliberately putting herself in more danger when other people are trying to save her because she's like, no, there's something that I need to do in this place that only I can do. So she goes against their wishes because, well, it's not just all about her. So it turns out this is the first th- part of the story that I really didn't like because I have to say I love Jolene, but there's a lot of problems with part six that made me not appreciate it as much. First is the fact that the entire plot centers on Jotaro again. And I'm like, OK, I like Jotaro, but... How many parts do you need to be in, dude? <laughs> uh, so it, it is interesting because I imagine that there's a contingent of people who are like, I want my JoJo parts since they all take place in the same universe, that they want them to like mix and match more. And then there's and like that's a, why this one ended the way it did. <laughs> yeah, and then there's other people who are like, well, no, nah, I kind of like it when they're both unique parts. I understand that, like, the very notion of, like, well, Jotaro's stand is extremely powerful, and it's kind of the entire, like, crux upon which this, like, conflict is made. But truly, it's a weird story in that it involves Jotaro so much, but then when the most perfect opportunity in the world for Giorno to make an appearance (laughs) is offered, there is nothing, not a single fuck. They're like, all of Dio's sons are gathering here. Where's Giorno? Ah, he's on a plane. He's he's trying to get here. That's that's the important. He's trying to get here. Listen, part five won't be nearly as popular until its anime comes out much later. (laughs) And then everyone will realize how great it is. I do appreciate that this this part has all of this like previous kind of like character connection stuff put into it because you're like, oh, okay, in a way, that's almost what kind of makes this one a little different 
is that mm-hmm. it is so kind of built up upon the past that so many like direct connections to previous stuff but at the same time uh like the, the current cast is is like one that i think was strong enough on the on the grand scheme of things too where you're like we didn't need it but again it, it the entire premise is based upon joe Toro and his stand so yeah you'd have to change a lot and his memories yeah so our villain, we don't know who he is for a little while, uh, and which is a similarity with some other parts. Um, but so he's just known as White Snake of uh, his stand for a while. Uh, and he has the ability to put people's memories and stand abilities into these CDs, which he can then put into other people or even not not even people in some in one very important case. Uh, so this, you know, can gift the abilities to other people and also he can implant memories in other people. And so what he wants is uh, Jotro's memory disc. Uh, there's a point early on in the story where Jotro comes to visit Jolene and he's been quite a bit of an absentee father through much of her life, which she comes to terms with later is because he was trying to keep her uh, out of his life so that she wouldn't be used for this very purpose of, oh, you have a weakness, which is someone you care about. So I'm going to use you to her to lure you into a trap. And that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they. uh Jotaro ends up getting his memories and his stand taken away from him as a result of this. And a large part of the story is uh, Jolene trying to recover these in order to save her father, uh, while our villain tries to recover his memories so that he can make use of them. Because there's something important that only Jotaro knows. Ooh. Uh, meanwhile, a person who has their stand and their memories taken away will basically shrivel up and die without them uh, because it's like having your mind and your soul taken away from you. Uh, and even when he gets up, ends up getting his stand ability back, but not his memories, he's still looking in pretty bad shape because he's basically completely lethargic, has no uh, self-identity. And so he's going to physically fade away as a result of being you know, completely mentally dead. Uh, almost. So that is what 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 the the focus of the story is on. Is like we gotta save Jotro, my dad, who I hate. Um, so Jolene makes a couple of friends in prison. Uh-huh. Um, and they basically, the way I think of it is, form the most D and D group <laughs> in any part of JoJo so far. These guys. (laughs) So you have to understand that one of the things that makes Green Dolphin Prison unique is that the prisoners are basically allowed to just do whatever and form their own ecosystem inside the prison. And so they uh, if they want to get some extra perks, like being allowed to keep their hair instead of having it shaved off, being able to wear their own clothes instead of prison jumpsuits getting good food, being able to call the outside and stuff. They have to sneak in money somehow. And then while they are in prison, they have to uh, get it from other inmates. Uh, You'd think that the, um, you know, income of the prison would eventually, you know, like just not be able to keep up with the demands of this. But anyway, it's it's an underexplored aspect of the the system. Anyway, 
So as a result of this, they're despite being uh, in prison is a sense of greed uh, among some of Jolene's allies, in particular, uh, her main sidekick in this endeavor. Oh, God, I forget her name because it's a really weird name. Her her name is weirder than her Stan's name. Her, so Hermes, Hermes. That's why it's like it's because I always see it and I'm, just, and I'm just like that accent mark is really bothering me. Anyway, who also gets a stand uh, because she comes across the same uh, shard of the arrow and her her stand ability is called Kiss, which. Uh, allows her to put a sticker on things and that causes where she puts a sticker on to double and then she takes the sticker off the two doubles come back together and that causes damage to the original because that yeah pretty straightforward but but at least it's some really trippy uh stuff and some uh, unique combat hermes is um pretty big asshole <laughs> like she's loyal to jo- to jolene and they get really close really quickly but she's kind of a giant idiot um in particular like there's this one part of the of the story where uh the, one of white snake's minions um who is basically like the gambler uh, of this part, mm-hmm. her thing is that she makes bets with people and then just sits back and, and watches and she can't actually use her stand ability to manipulate the result of what's going on. But if someone mentally acknowledges that they have lost or cheated, then she, that's when she can strike and it allows her to do whatever is necessary to collect on the debt. So, you know, Hermes has like lost this bet and is, you know, like has her like gold tooth ripped out, has her like liver ripped out of her because it can be sold in the black market. And it just kind of like exploits her own thoughts on like, oh, no, I've lost in order for her to think, oh, now I'm going to owe all this money. What would I have to do in order? And it just preys upon those thoughts. And it starts off really, really, really stupid because Jo- they know that they're being hunted at this point, and Jolene is telling her friends, guys, I don't think we should take this bet. I don't know. What if she is like an assassin to, that is coming after us? And Hermes is just like, if she were an assassin, she would have attacked us already. Come on, let's win some money. <laughs> this couldn't possibly go wrong. So they managed to win the first bet after like Jolene has had to she's gotten like bowled over she's nearly tripped she's had she's just barely managed to to win a game of catch throwing a ball back and forth 13 times and already like two or three things have gone wrong that could that could have caused them to lose a hundred dollars and everybody's like hey if we do another hundred we get a thousand dollars come on guys <laughs> we're still she's not doing anything untowards we're fine it's, it, every jojo part needs like the one idiot who's just kind of like a greedy dickhead who you're like i guess you're gonna start problems just by your own bad personality so she's getting her organs like ripped out of her and stuff and julian is like okay fine you know what We'll continue this bet because I've got to save my friend. She does the noble thing. And and starting from there, it actually does start to get good 
because she and Foo Fighters, uh, the third member of their crew, are like having to chase down this girl because they're like, there's no way we have enough time in order to actually win this bet because they have to throw it back and forth a thousand times. They're like, but if we defeat her, then her and you know attack her directly, then her stand will go away. And we'll be able to save Hermes. So, of course, she knows this and she's run the fuck away. So they're like chasing her through the prison. They're tossing the ball back and forth because they are they're only allowed to hold on to the ball for so long. They have they Jolene corners her in an elevator, but they but food players doesn't get in. So they have to, like, toss the ball through. So she tries to toss it through the closing elevator and Jolene has to use her strings to unravel the ball and pull it up through the gap in the elevator in order for it to count. So there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in this sequence, but still, like, Hermes, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> you knew something was sneaky was going on. You're like, no, 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 $1,000. I mean, you feel like, I guess maybe this is the advantage of never really bringing back too much of a cast, because you feel like once a JoJo goes through a part, like when the next part shows up, they're like, this guy's weird. He must have a stand. Like, I don't know. I think he's just selling food on the street. If you go near him, you're abandoned. You're on your own. I will not help you. You've been through this so many times. You're We're done. Every time we meet someone weird, they have a stand. God damn it. And I'll admit, that one part of the story leads to probably the single most satisfying beatdown in this entire part. Because Jolene is like, hey, the bet was what? I, we've got to play catch and get a thousand tosses, a hundred tosses back and forth. Oh, no, wait, I think it was a thousand. And she has uh, she has Stone Free make a bunch of baseballs on strings and pummels her to death with them. <laughs> so it's like, all right, that was really cool. Probably, honestly, when it gets to the actual tossing the ball back and forth uh, while chasing through the prison, from that point to the end, it's like, that's one of the most satisfying sequences in the entire part for me. But the stupidest setup to get to that point. And honestly, there were a lot of moments in this part where I was just thinking, it's like, just why are you guys so stupid? This is such a convoluted setup to get you guys in danger when you could have just kicked that guy in the balls or whatever and just left him there. Why are you leaving the weird green thing to do to be with his own device? Like, well, we can't hurt it, so I guess we're just going to do whatever it says. Like, no, no, like tie it up or something. It, 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 I guess we'll go out into the boat and take forever to figure out what the hell it's how what the hell is damaging us. Just come on. And I know that that's like all that Jojo really subsists on is like this weird scenario that our heroes have landed in before they can defeat this bad guy after figuring out how it's actually hurting them. But so much of it seems to be due to self-sabotage. Through so many parts, so through so much of this, with so many different characters that it happens to, that it, I got sick of it uh, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Also, was it just me? Did I just like forget how brutal JoJo can be, or was there a lot of really gross body horror in this part? It felt like there was to me. Uh I think. Part of it's that JoJo's always had a lot of that violence to it, but part of it is also, I think, that Araki, at this point, is starting to push the boundaries of what he does a little Mm. bit more. So following this part, when part seven comes out, uh, it goes to 
Jump Ultra, I think, or whatever, whatever the, oh. the version of Jump is that doesn't have to be, you know, the quote unquote equivalent of PG anymore, essentially. So uh, I think part of that was just like maybe Araki was like, I'm pushing this boundary. Hey, I'm already going to get moved to this magazine while I try shooting off a couple of these things. But I think also part of it, too, is just like it's just the new ways of getting them across because it's never been a series that's like shied away from how violent it would get. But uh, serialized in the weekly show and jump from 87 to 2004 before being transferred to monthly sane in ultra jump. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Uh, there's also um, Foo Fighters is like the third member of Jolene's crew uh, who is uh, unique in the aspect that like she's basically just a stand mm-hmm. um which is why she calls herself food fighters she's not exactly just a stand because she is actually like a bunch of plankton that white snake gave a stand ability to but she uses the stand ability in conjunct in order to like let herself get around in water uh in a bunch of different ways including by inhabiting a prisoner that she killed. Uh, so, <laughs> which it was the beginning of my, like, this is just like a weird D and D group because there's, you know, uh, as with a lot of, uh, Jojo, uh, protagonists, Jolene makes some of her friends by first beating them, uh, when they try and kill her. And then they just, but we're friends now we're going on this journey together. I think that happens at least once in every single uh, part. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so they first encounter Foo Fighters when, which, by the way, her ability has nothing to do with Foo Fighters. There's some really appropriate na- uh, names for uh, abil- for stand abilities in this. And then there are some that are just like, what are you talking about? This? It's, it's a shame because Foo Fighters is the best stand name and it should have been given yeah. the best stand. Whereas opposed to just like, it's an okay stand. It's all right. It's, I think it's, it's kind of right. cool. But like, I mean, come on. Fucking White Snake. Fuck White Snake. <laughs> Give that band Foo Fighters instead. It's much better. Uh. Like, for example, one of the first stand users that Jolene encounters is Highway to Hell, uh, who hurts you by trying to kill himself. It's like very appropriate stand name. Yes. okay, but and she calls herself Stone Free because she's going to free herself from her situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Anyway, they encounter Foo Fighters, who is guarding the discs that they are trying to recover because they're trying to get uh, Jotaro's discs back so that they can save Jolene's father. And uh, they encounter Foo Fighters while they are out basically in the outskirts uh, of this prison, which goes directly into a swamp infested with alligators, because, of course, it does. It's Florida. Um, And the guard that is accompanying them gets killed. And this nearly gets all of them killed, because if they get too far away from him, then like there are these bands on their wrist that will explode. Uh, and like his corpse is being drawn away, so they have to keep the corpse close to them and stuff. And so Julian and Hermes are trying to figure out what's going on. And they conclude like it must have been one of these other inmates. There's an extra one than there was before. So that extra inmate who wasn't with us when we first set out must be actually an assassin, a stand user who was here to kill us. And the big twist turns out to be that all three of the, of the remaining ones that are out there uh, with them 
have already been killed by Foo Fighters. <laughs> he's like, it's using their corpses as like zombies and he like eats their bodies in order to compose them into a body for itself. And they have this fight and they manage to beat it. And then before Hermes can finish it off, Julian's like, let's not kill it. And she's like, why? Is it because it is just acting on instinct and on the orders that White Snake gave it? It's not actually evil. I want it to help us. It's like you, okay, you just it ate people, like it <laughs> ate people's bodies and and absorbed them into itself, into a collective. I don't know if you're gonna be able to get along. And then it's just like I put myself into the one remaining whole corpse. So now I can follow you into the prison and this girl's body. And now I'll just, you know, pretend to be her. It's like, this is really creepy. (laughs) And they're just like, cool. Foo Fighters is here. (laughs) But very cool. At the same time, they're like, sweet. We got our zombie plankton friend. Look, she's got finger guns. Pew, pew. (laughs) And honestly, like once Foo Fighters is part of their crew, she's, like really endearing because she's so off the walls and weird because she doesn't know how to act like a person. And again, she adds to that like weird D and D group aspect because she's like that one PC that the player decided to min max the hell out of. Like I've got 38 constitution, but only four intelligence and three charisma. So I just get to act like an insane weirdo wherever I go and you can't kill me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> try to stop me dickhead oh she does oh. well yeah i mean yeah. hey we're not uh, well then again <laughs> everyone dies in this series <laughs> including people who weren't in it <laughs> so and she meets some other people along the way uh there's weather report who is really overpowered what do you think about it <laughs> He's basically like Storm of the X-Men, but even stronger. Um, Then there is Anasui, who is in love with Jolene before he's ever met her. And this is portrayed as endearing. And it actually uh, works out, too. Yeah, it's it's (laughs) like they have a sweet moment toward the end. But other than that, just like she she's basically like ignorant of his affection for her. And it's like, why do you what? What? Why are you anyway? So, not to say like, okay, look, this this part has a female protagonist. That doesn't necessarily mean that Iraqi has like the best mindset when it comes to women, because the entire character arc that Jolene evolves through, like, look, she goes through some real growth, but the entire conflict that her character go, is going through is based on the fact that Joe Chiro was never around when she was growing up, and yes, that can have. Massive psychological issues for people um, that, you know, they struggle to go through the way that the narration, i.e. Araki himself explains this, however, is that girls need to be loved by their fathers. Otherwise, they'll go through life always trying to replicate that love and being taken advantage of by men who don't actually love them. Ooh. So that was weird when that just suddenly came out of the blue. Again, I got problems with this with this part of the story. I I don't know. I think it was it might be because it became it came off of part five. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way that it ended. But those aren't the only issues with it. Um, I like parts of it, but it's 
I struggled a few times with like being able to be like, I don't know if I like this right now. So we haven't talked at all about the main antagonist for this arc, who right. and if I'm not mistaken, because it's never been animated yet, and I can't remember if I've ever heard his name said in the game, but I believe it's Father Pucci. Because <laughs> it's, it's based it's, on it's, it's, Pucci, yes. Because it's yeah. based off of Gucci. It just with yeah. a P, so I assume it's Pucci. Uh, which is amusing because I can't hear that and not think of the dog from Simpsons. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but he's the antagonist who we meet super early on. So contrary to kind of like the previous two parts, and honestly, yeah. contrary to like every part of JoJo outside of part one, really, uh, right. we meet Poochie really early on. At first, just in his stand form. And right. then we meet him. And he is the antagonist throughout the series. It's not like part four where you don't actually meet Kira for an extremely long time. Part five where like you don't meet the like that's the halfway point of the series is kind of like, oh, and now Diavolo's out there or whatever like that. Like we meet Pucci relatively early on and the mission is basically one long, desperate kind of like stop him from completing his super plan arc. And through the process, his weird religious and like romantic fanaticism towards Dio and like the worship that he's brought is like leading him to evolve into power, powerful beings and things like that. It's, it's, it's a crazy trip towards the end where you're like, Jesus, the dude already just got a super overpowered power up. <laughs> no, 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 no. Led Zeppelin reference, <laughs> which we have to change in the volumes because Led Zeppelin's like, no, <laughs> Led Zeppelin is the only band to be like, no, uh he i mean i i like his character too honestly because he's so crazy from the get-go and even like we see some like past interactions he had with dio and you kind of get the feeling that dio's like this guy's kind of weird fucking dio brando is kind of like okay well we were asking is kind of strange but anyway (laughs) Clearly you're insane, but I'm gonna follow along with this. I'll take the I'll take what I can get. You're worshiping me. That's cool. Um I, I, honestly it's a little weird that Dio didn't kill the guy, considering his penchant for just murdering people, but anyhow. So and it, it makes sense why he's so atta- he's so drawn to wanting uh to get at Jotaro because it's like, okay, yeah, Jotaro's the guy who killed his god, basically. Uh, who killed the person who has given him all these insights. And uh, it's part of his like religion that the Joestar jo- jo- uh, line needs to end because it is preventing humanity from evolving, from, from entering heaven, uh, as he puts it. And um, he's unique to uh, Jojo villains in that he basically wins. He seems as though he wins. Uh, he kind of wins. So he almost, he comes very close to winning. <laughs> he, he wins in the sense that he accomplishes his fate, but by then being defeated after that, everything he does is undone. So, Not everything. <laughs> well, most everything. He basically, his stand that he finally gets is an absurd overpowered like time acceleration thing that's meant to like 
pull everything towards because he, he kind of has a gimmick around gravity. Right. And everything's supposed to kind of be pulled forward to like this this major point and that when it finally gets there, he will create this new universe and he succeeds. Yeah. But the hero's big victory is that they managed to protect this one kid who's been kind of following along with them. He's just around whatever. They protect him. They get him into the new universe with his memories attacked. So he knows what happens and he manages right. to defeat Poochie. And because Poochie dies, everything he's done is undone. But what it does is it creates a new kind of alternate reality. A new yes. well, not, no, hold on. Actually, this is actually very important. Not an alternate reality, an alternate timeline. Yes. Where all the characters are still the same, except they don't have the same names. For some reason. <laughs> uh, well, it's so JoJo, it's so Rocky could put a shitty pun into the last day of the two characters at the end. Irene and I kiss. Um, and that's sort of the end of it. And a lot of people are like, well, that's infuriating because it means everything's been undone. And you're like, hey, everything still happened. I don't know why. Uh, you know what? Whatever. Just okay. I agree. I lost. <laughs> so. Right. So what happens is. <laughs> so Pucci, uh achieves uh, Stairway to Heaven, which got changed really quickly to Made in Heaven. Like. Even before like anime serializations, uh, we got we got to change that in the Tonga Bonds because Led Zeppelin will sue us if we call it Stairway to Heaven. He calls it Made in Heaven, and it is a time manipulation thing. But it's even more powerful than the world or uh, 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 Star Platinum. And that he can accelerate it so much that at first they're like it takes like two or three minutes for an hour to pass. That's how fast time is passing for literally everything except for living beings. Uh, so it causes all these problems to happen all around the world. First off, people's clocks are wrong. Uh, like the instruments on planes are going bad. So planes are crashing. People are completely losing track of time. Stuff is like starting to decay really quickly. And then it just, time just gets sped up faster and faster and faster and faster until people are looking up and like the sun is just constantly streaking across the sky. Like those fast forward effects to let you know that years are passing uh, kind of thing. Uh, but it's happening while people are actually there moving in real time as the world is just disintegrating around them, essentially. Uh, so it's down to, you know, like Jolene and Hermes and... Uh, Anasui and Jotaro and this one kid, uh, <laughs> Imperio, Imperio, who's there uh, in his stupid baseball uh, uniform. And they're like, OK, we've got this one chance to kill uh, Pucci in order to save the world, basically. Uh and they're like, OK, well, he'll strike me. And at that moment, uh, Jotaro can freeze time. And even though he's speeding up time, he c if we freeze time, then Jotaro can actually attack him. So they're aiming for that one moment. And Jotaro has a chance to attack Pucci. But Pucci has already done the Dio thing of throwing a bunch of knives. So 
Jotaro's got a limited amount of time with the world activated to attack him. He chooses to save Jolene instead, and so he misses his chance to attack Pucci. And Pucci basically slaughters everyone except Emporio and Jolene. And she's trying to get him away uh, from Pucci while Pucci's chasing after them. And she ends up making a big heroic sacrifice to save him. Uh, and she's like, you need to go forward. You are carrying our hope. She basically realizes this is the thing she has to do. And somehow the world moving forward through time really, really quickly causes that Futurama episode where they go so far forward that they end up repeating through history. Uh, except that was done as a joke. So Emporio's back in the moment right before Joe, right as Jolene is meeting Jotaro uh, and Pucci knows that he shouldn't be here. So he approaches him as trying to chase him down. And fortunately, Emporio manages to get weather reports abilities and uses his overpowered abilities to kill him by basically flooding the room with so much oxygen that Pucci gets oxygen poisoning and then he's able to crush his head and kill him. And that causes the parallel world to occur. And nobody remembers anything except Emporio. When this happened, and I was like, I'm on the last chapter as Emporio is in this second of three, you know, timelines, basically. And I'm like, okay, so he's going to do something. And then Jolene and Jotaro are going to kill this guy, right? No, Uh, it's a new timeline. And he meets a bunch of the characters, except Foo Fighters, who, you know, can't exist in this (laughs) new timeline because she was Plankton. Um, And the thing that you're supposed to get is that, well, you know, it's still, you know, Jolene and Anasui and and, and Hermes. They have different names, but it's the same people. And they may, may not have had the same experiences. But, hey, look. They're happy now. And Jolene and Anasui are apparently in an actual relationship now. Isn't that nice? They're going to go ask uh, Jotaro if they can get married. And uh, but Emporio remembers and he's very sad. So it's like, okay, well, you know, there's they're the same people, but they've had different experiences at this point. So goodbye. That's the end. So I read this and I literally did not know how to feel. (laughs) I was. Initially kind of like shocked angry you know that feeling you were like are you fucking kidding me kind of thing mm-hmm. but then i was like uh i mean it's kind of a happy ending and yes there was character evolution that happened and that doesn't erase that it's definitely something that if we read this five years ago or so would have pissed me off a lot more because um you know, as we get as you know, you experience more media as you get older and stuff, you experience it differently. And I placed a lot more stock than that I do now in terms of like continuity. It's the same reason why, like, you know, The Last Jedi would have probably pissed me off a lot more five years ago than when I actually saw it. And I was like, oh, that was a fun story. So um, I decided to do some research on this. And it turns out that Iraqi did this because he was like, where the fuck could I go from here unless I reset the universe? <laughs> and he makes a really strong point. <laughs> there have been how many Jojo protagonists that have, you know, ended up with world changing abilities by the end of the year. How can you get 
just increasingly more powerful people before they're just gods and it just becomes not interesting uh, anymore where you just have to go up and up and up and up. So he made the decision to instead go back uh, and make this separate timeline where there's not all of this, you know, Joe star line continuity to worry about. Not, not every single villain has to be connected to Dio Brando and all that stuff. And so he can say he can just tell separate stories like what part seven and eight are. And well, it's like, that makes sense, I guess. So I do have a minor correction on that. Okay. So the world that's created is an alternate timeline. However, part seven and eight, while they also take pat like take place in the past, do not take place in the same new timeline. It kind of exists to be there, okay. but they don't. So it is it's, it's the same general feeling, but just in case people were gonna he get closed to... he closed the book on this one timeline. Yeah. In order to write. And the new timeline has references. It, it's actually specific because I think it, it does have some element that actually kind of comes up because not to spoil too much, but part seven has a villain that has the ability to like cross dimensions. So like it, it actually might be a factor that comes up at some point. Gotcha. But it's one of those thing, cases where it's like, well, I can bring in elements from other yeah. parts if I want to, but I'm not beholden to them now that I've kind of closed the book on them. I don't have to say like, uh, this person is connected to the Joe star line this way. And this person got power from Dio this way and all that stuff. So, yeah, so I do like that. It, it really went to the limit of what the heroes were able to accomplish without taking anything away from the villain, you know, where mm -hmm. it was like Poochie was an extremely competent and extremely dedicated villain and even though they overcame so many ridiculous things, because the, the thing that like I really want to stress is how ridiculously like cool the characters in this part are for surviving everything that they do. <laughs> when the villain finally gets the ability, he's like, oh, I could just flip the, the gravity of things. So I'm just going to fucking flip you inside out, Jolene and Joy Dine. She's like... Turned myself into a Mobius strip, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, what's she gonna do? I was like, I guess she just did it again, man. Because <laughs> like we haven't even talked about the crazy things they do to survive half of the battles in this. Like the the entire Foo okay. Fighters has this one absurd battle that would have killed her if she were not planted inside of a human body. And even then, she should not have survived. <laughs> she fights this guy whose gimmick is feng shui. Feng shui assassination, which basically allows him to feel the energies of someone and know how to attack them from a certain direction in a way that will hurt them or kill them. And even if they know the exact direction he's going to attack from, they still can't defend themselves because the universe's energy is just oriented to it that way. So... There's a point where one, he's already sliced. He's already scalped her uh, at this point. The top half of her head is like is like a can lid and blood is gushing out. But she's planking inside of Yumbai, so she don't really care. Yeah. But she, she she cares because blood is coming is coming out of her roof. <laughs> she's she cares because blood is coming out of her and that's taking her water away. And she needs water to survive because she's plankton. Uh so she's desperately looking, trying to get a source of water. But when she goes to get to this, like, you know, fire hose, uh, he stops her and knocks her down to this area where they hold executions. And no matter what she does, she keeps stumbling 
she like tries to get up and she's she gets nearly she accidentally hits the buttons to trigger the electric chair before stumbling into it and she has to like fight to prevent the straps from just randomly latching around her and then she's trying to get out of there she just like keeps slipping and getting thrown back into the chair because the universe just wants her to be in this electric chair and die it, it it's so weird and and honestly kind of terrifying <laughs> the fact that you can't this nightmare scenario where you can't get away from this thing that's going to kill you mm. fortunately because he needs to rely on his compass dragon who is really <laughs> his stand has the has my favorite stand personality i think so far because he's just like I just tell him what direction to fight from. He's kind of a weird old man who needs to calm down. <laughs> and he's like, show me where to go. And he's like, well, listen, man, it's, uh, you've had a long day and like you're sweating now. You need to chill. <laughs> Maybe you'd like a nap. Also, you're outside of your safety zone right now. You were looking at a reflection instead of me. So you're in the wrong place. And uh, yeah, you're not looking so good. And then they finally kill him. I think they kill him. Now, I think he's just knocked out of commission. He's still technically alive because Anasu uses his ability to <laughs> turn his body into springs. And you like cut inside of him and see that like his bones are breaking inside of his body as he bounces around without wanting to. It's gross as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> there are some very memorable fights in this part. I think that in the end, there are some, I guess, just thematic issues that I have with him more than anything uh, in terms of like the reason why Iraqi had certain things happen. I understand why he did them, but I disagree with them. And that really bothered me. I, I think this is going to be the start of where honestly, I think part five was the start of it. This is where it becomes more notable. Uh, Iraqi is has been doing this for an obscenely long time. He's oh, been yeah. doing this since the 80s. And he's still drawing JoJo's Bizarre Adventure to yep. this day. Uh, and as time's gone on, I mean, there's always that great infographic you could look at where you see how his art's evolved, and absolutely that's the case. Mm -hmm. Of course, when you're drawing some of the 30 years, you're going to get better at it. Uh, his storytelling also changes. Mm. And his storytelling has, I think, I think it peaked in part four to a certain extent where he kind of had this tight little small story about this town. And as time goes on from here on in, he's going to get more and more Baroque with his storytelling and more kind of just, he leans into the bizarre of Jojo's bizarre adventure, not just in right. terms of having characters do wacky things and having wacky like opponents, but just the plot becoming obscenely odder and odder. Mm -hmm as we kind of go along. So like how this part ends with a giant, like time resetting alternate timeline kind of thing. Part seven is like a battle for the corpse of Jesus Christ, which for some reason was strewn across America and is gathered up during a horse race. Like, and from what I remember of part eight, it's on that same line where it's just escalation of like kind of weirdness. And I think, for Rocky, it kind of it's it's a double edged sword. Where on one hand you're like, oh, this makes it a lot harder to like get into it, but at the same time it's like, bitch, you're reading part seven. You're yeah. either in this at this point or you're not. Like you're either going to enjoy this for what it is or you're just gonna bail ship. He's not gonna stop doing what he's doing at this point though. 
Like part seven's not where he's like, ooh, maybe I've gone too far. Let me pull back the reins a little bit. So I th- I still like part six a lot. I like the cast from it. Again, I, I love Jolene. She's like, I, I usually reference Josuke as my favorite, but Jolene's my actual favorite just because she's the only Jojo who actually changes. Like when you see her from the start of the series to the end of it, you're like emotionally, personality wise and physically, she is a completely different character from where she was at the start to the end. And it's, it's a great story that's told. She's extremely cool. And she has so many awesome moments where you're like, Fuck man, you use a stand that turned you into string to do that. Like that's that's the best part mm-hmm. of it. So I, I love her for those reasons. I love Poochie. I liked Anasui. Um and I, I love the weirdness of this arc. It, it 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 hits a lot of the best points. We didn't even talk about that there's a guy who has the power to turn people into snails through subliminal messaging, which is like my go-to reference for JoJo's bizarre adventure always. Uh, it, it just has so much absurdity to it that it's really fun. I think it also falls into the same problems a lot of JoJo parts have, where it's like you could kind of like clearly identify the part where like assassins are thrown in to pad the story along. Because there's a lot of times where it's like, hey, there's just a fight happening here, things like that. Um, but I do like it has its own unique setting of a prison escape, and then it's like this desperate attempt to like stop the bad guys, basically. Yeah. So, not my favorite uh, JoJo part, but no. I think it ranks near the top for me. Um, but that said, it, it's still one that I, I, I highly recommend to everybody. It's the part that I really hope part five does well enough in the anime so that we at least get part six. I don't know how they could do part seven. <laughs> There's a lot to it that's going to be interesting to see if they do. I saw something that said that they were going to do it next year, but I'm not sure if that was an official announcement or not. I mean, I, I feel as though part five has been getting received very well because, like, I've seen so many people be like, this is great, you know, so. Anyway. Uh, shall we move on then, Chris, from here? Absolutely Chris. not. No, we're going to say goodbye now, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, wait, All right, anyways, and so we got to, we got other talk. Let's get through the recap portion of the manga recap. We're going to need to try and uh, maintain a brisker pace than normal. So, My Hero Academia, chapter 235. It's a flashback time. Hooray. Uh, number 235, since destruction, whatever the hell that means. So, uh, there's a lot of heavy stuff that happens in this. Um, there, we do get a little bit uh, that happens initially where we see why Shigaraki was able to survive the huge attack that Redestro launched at him. Basically, he disintegrated it. Uh, he launched this wave of his stress at him like a blast and Shigaraki touched it with his hand and disintegrated it and kind of dissipated instead of it hurting him. And, uh, Shigaraki looks at one of the you know hands that he wears and kind of repeats the sentiment that Redestro said that he can't build anything. He's like, you know what? You're right. All I can do is destroy. And Redestro's like, well, then be gone because a world without creation has no future. And he bears down on him. And Shigaraki's like, well, no future. Well, I don't want that either. And we get this extended flashback to uh, Shimura uh, Tenko as a child. Uh, 
Sense Destruction was the last chapter. I got confused and didn't change the chapter title. Tenkoshimura Origin is the name of this chapter. And we see that uh, Tenko grew up in an abusive household. His father was an asshole because apparently, I say apparently because, uh, not, it's basically Nanashimura, who was All Might's predecessor, uh, did not abandon him, but left him to someone else to raise because it was the Jotaro logic. I don't want you to be in danger because of, you know, they will use you to get to me. And we actually see a part with her talking to her still young son where she, you know, left a note for him and stuff. And she's like, look, I'm sorry that I have to do this, but I, I have to go and fight this really bad person and he'll try and do things to you. And that's why we can't be together. And I'm sorry I couldn't be normal for you. I'm If you decide to hate me, you have to know I will always love you. I And I hope that you can live a happy life and know that your mother is watching over for you from heaven. And we see adult Kotaro saying, I'd rather you'd never loved me. So really bitter guy about this and seems to take a lot of it out on his own family. Uh, he has forbidden anyone to like talk about heroes in the house. And of course, you know, Tenko wants to be, wants to be a hero. Uh, and, but his quirk hasn't developed at this point. Uh, he looks like Deku. He hasn't developed a quirk like Deku, so more of the parallels building there between them. Tenko's older sister uh, has them kind of sneak into like his father's office, and they find a picture of Kotaro as a kid with Nana in her hero outfit. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, she was a hero, apparently. So, hey, I'm on your side, Tenko. Let's be a brother-sister hero team, but we've got to keep it a secret from Daddy. Uh, and then... Uh, Kotaro found out that they snuck into his office. Uh, his sister blamed him for it, that it was his idea. And so Kotaro slapped the shit out of him. That's the clinical just, term, by the way, for it. Just just like open hand, huge ass rear back slap a five year old kid. So I guess it never wasn't that bad, guys. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> I've been there, buddy. Um, and he like even is denying like that wasn't your grandmother in your picture. That was just a monster who abandoned her child. That's what heroes really are. They're people who hurt their own families only to help complete strangers. And uh, we do see to the rest of the family's credit, they go and confront him about this. And they're like, you you've gone too far. You're being violent and you promised us that we would live in this home of joy. What is what's this? And he's just like, I didn't want it to be this way. And we see Tenko moping by himself, crying as his little dog tries to comfort him. And he itches at his eyes and he's like, I hate I can't take this. I hate everyone. So. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty harsh and heavy stuff. Um, but I guess if you're going to have someone be end up becoming as disturbed as Shigaraki, you're going to throw as much stuff in there as possible to explain why he's so messed up. I want to I want people to keep in mind that I don't think that the series is necessarily saying, oh, if you come from an abusive household, you're that's why you become evil. Like, no, he became evil because he made a mistake when he was five years old after he was having an emotionally trying time. And then 
one all for one swooped in and further pushed him towards the dark side. This was a number of different factors that led him to this. Um, but yeah, if you wanted me to immediately think like, wow, you came from a really bad household. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Nothing bad better happen to that dog. I know he's currently clutching in his hands. Uh, and he has a disintegration ability. And at exactly the point when his disintegration ability should appear. But I better better see that fucking dog, like, walking alongside him next time. He's like, isn't it weird I discovered my disintegration ability while trying to open the mayonnaise or something like that? Well, let me tell you something, Chris. I get the, I get the impression that uh, uh, we're not going to see uh, this dog, only part of his body later latched around uh, Shigaraki. He's like, no, no, no. See, you can't prove that he died because he doesn't have his hands with him. See? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like this. I, I think maybe the execution is a little off for me, but I, I do get why this would make Shigaraki the way he is, uh, just from the sense that he saw very small glimpses of his family feeling like they betrayed him beyond, like, obviously mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the parental figure in his life who, who severely betrayed him, uh, but all the right. other small ones. And so when he kills them out of anger, he just doesn't know how to cope with it, and he breaks, and he becomes the Shigaraki we know today. So I, I do see where that, because we haven't seen it yet, but presumably we we've been able to put the dots together that we have thus far. And no Shigaraki is going to obliterate his whole family very soon. So, uh, it'll be curious to see how that all comes together. I do like how this all sort of pulls together. I, I honestly, there's a part of me that honestly even sort of sympathizes with the dad's anger towards the original all for one as well. Well, not the original all for one, but the, or right. all, one for right. all that, that, that but his mother but i was like i do kind of get why he is he's a kid who like had a mom yeah. that he loved and then she was just like i can't take care of you anymore gotta be a superhero and he was like fine then fuck you i'm never allowing superheroes in my household again so how dare you die protecting people fuck you mom yeah like i i, I get why he sees it as angry as this like vindictive kind of like child who just like doesn't understand it and eventually just turn that confusion into like a sense of misplaced grief um so i I think a lot of the pieces work again i just think the execution was maybe a little off for this chapter for me but by and large Mm. okay also i thought this chapter was about safety first because there's like a big two kid two page color spread and the first people I started looking towards, like I looked over at Momo and I was like, oh, she's wearing knee pads. This must be a safety thing. Cause I looked over <laughs> and then like, what's her name? The acid girl's also Ashino. wearing ear pads. And I looked over, yeah. I was like, oh, Baku's wearing knee pads and Deku is too. And I was like, why isn't anyone else? That, that, that doesn't make sense. That, that, for the last two, those are actually just parts of their costume. Why are the other two wearing knee pads now? That's what I need to know. Well, yeah, Yorozu can wear wherever she wants. She'll just create it, you know. That's true. But now I just don't understand. Because then I was like, oh, well, they're wearing rollerblades. Of course they would. And I was like, no, they're not. No, they're not. They're not wearing rollerblades <laughs> at all. You're just wearing giant knee pads. You can't make that a style. Get out of here. Uh, maybe they're doing it because they're doing parkour. Because they're like running around. I don't know. Uh, you do parkour in uh, gym shorts and a loose t-shirt, Nick. That's all you do it in. You speak yeah, parkour. Yeah, I'm going to do parkour while wearing a party dress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. All right, let's talk about Eden Zero, Nick. Chapter 53, Wibble, Wobble, Ruby, Robble, Bobble, whatever. I saw that title, and, and I immediately was like, I hate this chapter. It was just, I had not read a single bit of it. Got that title. I was like, nope, hate it. So, Nick, last time, 
famous B-Cuber, what's her name, who I don't really care, uh, Ramil- showed up again. Lamilia? Lamilia? La- I thought there was a B in there. Teenage yeah, bitch La- went, La- got La- it. Lamilia. La- right. uh, she was like, hey, I'll tell you how to get to the labor district, but you have to do something for me. And I left it's off on kind of like uh, a point where we were like, hmm, Nick, do you think it's going to be something sexual? Do you think it's going to be something sexual? Just like, Kind of, yes. It can't possibly be, Nick, because it's the end of a chapter, so they've got to use it for some forward progression of the narrative. Honestly, I would have been less let down if it had been more sexual than it ended up being. Uh, it, it, it definitely hits a kink of a certain it's kind. Definitely, it's definitely a kink, but she's just kind of dressed skimpily. She doesn't do anything erotic. No one makes her bark like a dog. It's very progr- this is very progressive for for hero. Uh, so she makes she's like, all right, well, here's the thing. I want you to cosplay as a little magic girl, Whipple Wobble Ruby Bobble, and uh, it's like a little magic girl character. And she's like, fine, I'll do it. Uh, so she's put on the dress, and she's like, it kind of uh, it's a little small, but whatever. And then she starts hearing an anime theme song go around, and she's like, who's that? And we see a guy who I'm being told is like a German YouTuber interviewed hero. I, yeah. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of lore to it. I'm not... Don't expect me to start learning people outside of this this fucking manga though, for it. So uh, I think his name's Nino. I don't know. Yes. But, yes. Uh, he's like, anime will save the universe. He gives the thumbs up. That he's one, a, he's a big that one frame has gifted me so much (laughs) i don't know i kind of want to be like easy on eden zero this week just because like i got that one picture it's like i've had so exploitable let's just drop that in as a great non sequitur anyway uh so he's a good dude uh where as it turns out uh labilia is not because what she wasn't actually really interested in having rebecca on her video where it was supposed to be this whole thing about like rising B Cuber joins up with me. She's terrible at titles, by the way. Uh, yeah. But she eventually is like, hey, could you go up on the stage to do one last little like fucking theme song bullshit? Uh, she goes up there and she basically does the whole fucking bit from Carrie where she gets up on stage and just dumps a bunch of shit all over in front of everybody. She slimes her, Chris. Uh, why Casino was entertaining uh beekeeper's entire prank to the point of being like yeah you could just spill shit everywhere whatever who cares <laughs> that was a bit confusing but hey they got that point across uh labilia just wanted to prank her it was a prank video yeah. bro just a prank video uh and apparently uh, the video is going to be called i dumped some gross smelly soup on the woman who got so carried away she actually thought people cared about her videos and i'm like that's too long just say that's, i i dumped that's a character it. how are you gonna tweet that like you can't even put any hashtags after the title after you, you share the link in the title you just gotta stop with i dumped gross smelly soup on a woman and uh shockingly people will turn out for that shockingly yeah. despite how it is uh you'll be one of the most popular youtubers of all time so <laughs> yeah uh yeah there's a moment where pino's like no stop laughing this is you're laughing at my friend stop it and she actually cries yeah she she cries and uh the billy is just like hmm what labor district and then shuffles off <laughs> honestly it's actually a really funny moment because she's like all right fine i did your stupid thing you got to humiliate me tell me how to get to the labor district get the one <laughs> 
<laughs> she fucking books it out. She literally like shuffles away. It might as well just be a cloud shape, like a dust cloud shaped version of her left behind. Uh, so she's like, ah, shit. And then uh, she's handed a note that says, hey, but I'm is listening to everything that takes place here, so don't say a single word. And we see Nino, and he's like giving a thumbs up. He's like, I know how to get to the labor district. Come with me. And uh, then we cut over and we get the uh, patented bondage scene of this chapter, which honestly, this may be my favorite part of it because it's so short. I was like, we we didn't waste three fucking pages getting to this. Like, it's just a moment of like Hamor and her hands are like tied up on a pole above her. And he's like, what a sweet view. Can't wait to do this. I also like how she's like, I can't use my ether gear. He's like, well, ether gear functions by having your hands move. So without your hands being able to Bullshit. move. I'm like, mm, yes, just like how DD, you need to have uh, your verbal. You need to have a yeah, verbal somatic. <laughs> like, so if you're handcuffed together, you can't cast spells. Like, that sounds like some ticky tack bullshit, but whatever. I guess this is an easy way for us to get more bondage fetish scenes going on in the future. Uh, anyway, Shiki shows up. That's the end of the chapter. Shiki's like, it's hey. such weird. It's like, I don't know why we even bothered having her be kidnapped if Shiki was literally just going to be like 20 feet behind him to kick open the door right afterwards. Like, <laughs> I found be- you immediately. <laughs> There's just no sense of tension being built up whatsoever. So honestly, it's like unintentionally funny that they build this. Oh, what's going to happen to Homer? Oh, oh, Shiki's here. Never mind. Okay. Why Why did we even bother having her be taken away if she was just going to show up immediately? Anyway, yeah. let's move on from there. Uh, very brief note about, about Beast Children. Chris, the prelude is over. Yeah, well, now we're going to get to the good stuff. Yeah. Good luck with that. The Samurai 8, Chapter 10, Target Acquired. Um, so, what's this guy's name? Atta, the dark-skinned samurai who's been flying through space. Uh, he real, comes real across... Quick, real quick, I just want to say this to the people who are listening later. I want people to know I didn't just turn on, like, uh, six hours of rain background track right I'm now. I'm sorry, Florida, <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah, no, I just want people to know that that's just being picked up from another mic. That's 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 me, that's... Look, sorry, it's coming down actually pretty hard right now. Anyhow, no, no, absolutely. Atta comes across like the main guardian samurai, the older one that we saw speaking with the older princess earlier. Uh, and he summons this. He has like their base turned into this giant Garuda mech as Atata streaks towards it. And they start to clash. And he's like, have you come to your death? And then just down on the surface, Dharma reacts to something. It's like, I felt something familiar. And uh, was it Hachik? Whatever. The old, the adult samurai is like, oh, you must be sensing Lord Mujin. Do you know him? And Dharma's like, oh, yes, we once fought in a ceremonial duel. He was a promising fellow. Oh, well, he's the samurai protector and stellar commander of this planet. Oh, no surprise. I shall have to meet him so we may speak of old memories. And we just cut up into space. The entire mech's been completely cut apart. Ata stabbed him through the stomach. And he's like, oh! And then he disperses and he cuts up his like guardian orb thing or whatever it is. And it's like, now to continue my mission, Hachimaru's father finds Hachimaru's beacon, uh, goes to his coordinates on his little hover bike thing. Uh, Ata lands and is looking around. He's like, I must retrieve Hachikaku and Dojikiri Takatsuna target acquired and goes off there as well. 
Hachimaru's father shows up first, scolds Hachimaru for, uh, he thinks he got kidnapped first, but then, of course, Hachimaru's like, no, I became his pupil myself. And he's like, no, 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 you have to be protected. You're not a protector. You're the son of a mechanic. We're going home. And Hachimaru's like, I'm not some useless wimpy kid anymore. I'm different now. And An is like, but Hachimaru, you said you were a rebunctious prodigy. And to Hachimaru's credit, in the beginning of the chapter, he was like, I do feel bad about lying to her about what I said when I said where I was from. And, he's, and now he looks guilty again. But before that can go any further, Ata shows up. Looks like he's going to attack them. And Dharma senses his arrival and gets in the way. And uh, Hachimaru's father recognizes who Ata is. And he says, it's been a while, Dr. Furuta. Where is Hachikaku? So the plot thickens, I guess. I like how there was a thunderclap right in time for that line, too. Where is Hachikaku? <laughs> and Hachimaru responds with question mark, double exclamation point. That means things are serious. That means things are very serious. Ah, you did it, Chris. Look. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're, we're, this is a new WMR lives, Nick, where we just use nature to create the sound effects for us. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, uh, um, oh. So next time, I'm go- we're going to do a We Never Learn chapter, and I'm going to record it from inside a porn studio with a very <laughs> open mic. <laughs> God. <laughs> Nick, we haven't gotten to the time traveling boobs yet. Let's get to that in just a second after we talk about last Sayuki. Last Sayuki. So Kaharu has gone through the Black Tory Gate. Ryunosuke, of course, wants to go after her. There's honestly a really good chapter that, that happens here as Ryunosuke is trying to go through the barrier that uh, the master has summoned. He won't let him go through. Uh, so he's like, you're going to have to like kill me in order to get through this. We were shocked that we couldn't go through, that Kohara could go through at all. But she actually you know, asked us not to unseal this barrier. So, hey, uh, she... She should still be alive in there, probably. So just stay here and heed her wishes. He tries to attack. He's like, oh, come on, seriously. I, r- really? Look, I, y- y- the, you know that I have to be concentrating this gate. But without Kohara, you can't use your special powers. So there's no way that you're actually going to be able to affect me at all to throw off my concentration. So just give up. You know, that's the only, that the only other option is to kill me right here. So go ahead. Go all out if you want to. No, Estelle, you just stay right there. Come on. Kill me. Kill me. So Ryunosuke gives a little speech. He's like, you know what? I admit that I was scared. I thought I'd overcome it. But when it actually happened, I surprised myself with how emotional I got referring to his mother appearing before him. Uh, and I always thought that no matter what, we found out uh, that Kohara and I would be together. I've just been fooling myself. I got scared knowing more about Kohara, but she was different. She probably went through to find out more about herself. I know that she's afraid, but she went by herself. If I don't go after her, I won't be able to be her big brother anymore. So in order for me to go hold her hand right now, I'll do anything. And then he says, Sensei, I kissed Estelle. And he looks over at Estelle, who's got this shocked look on her face and has broken his concentration enough for Yunosuke to just cut through the the seal that he summoned while he's distracted. He just runs through before he can stop him. Instead, also shows up and stops him from using uh, his Nyoibo to stop Ryunosuke. And Estelle goes through, too. Uh-huh. And she's like, I came because I wanted to. Now what do we do? And Ryunosuke's like, um... Well, you don't have a plan. Why'd you run through if you don't have a plan? Hey, look, a light! Let's go towards that light, Estelle! That's my plan now. Let's go do there. <laughs> so they go towards the light. They arrive through this doorway. And what looks like a, uh, a train. And so uh, they go and... Uh, 
they hear a voice and Estella thinks that it's Koharu. But of course, Ryunosuke knows better because he's already met Kay before. And Kay looks around the seats, one of the seats on the train. And she's like, you know, I thought you'd come alone, Ryunosuke. So, uh oh, she's going to be jealous because of how Estella is close to Ryunosuke. Who could have seen that happening? Boop-ba-doo. He's going to talk with Kay again. And uh, stuff's going to happen now. It seems we haven't heard an official confirmation one way or another, but this feels like another step towards a cancellation mm-hmm. when things are starting to move this quickly. Because I like kind of phased through the first couple pages of this chapter. I was like reading it, but not absorbing it. And then I suddenly sat there. I was like, wait a minute. Why did Kwaku go through the portal? That didn't <laughs> happen last week. And I had to like flip to the start of the chapter and be like, oh, she did that really quickly this week. So, uh, who knows from here, but one way or another. Yep. All it's right, in, guys. It's in uh, that typical fashion of, like, it's getting canceled, so things have to ramp up. And on, admittedly, like, this was one, was a pretty well-paced chapter with some really good moments in it, so. I do like it. I do like everybody showing up to, like, help him get through, too, when all those, like, it just feels satisfying. All right, guys. <laughs> Let's talk about the best written series in all of Shonen Jump this week. We Never Learned Question 119, Traveling Back in Time, makes it so you encounter a past pizza bet. And well, Chris, I'm sure that Traveling Back in Time is purely metaphorical. It'll be uh, a look back into one of the characters' pasts as they look through a yearbook or something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I bet that's exactly how the best written series in Shonen Jump would do it. Also, so- character poll before we get into that first of all kirisu got over fourteen thousand votes and i think that's more than every other character combined secondly what the fuck is yuiga's younger sister doing sixth on this well you'll notice that yuiga's not on there at all so i wonder was if it, it was just the just, girls it was maybe just the women i mean i was trying to be like is there another male character anyone would have put out there and like to be honest, the first person I thought of, I was like, the kid with the mom who is constantly, like, accidentally right. starting off shenanigans. <laughs> I was like, is that the other major male character? And then uh, her, uh, what's her name's dad? Mina's dad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Oh, he was seventh? Yeah, I guess it was just all the ladies at the top then. I don't know how. Uh... Her. Like, even if you're going to say, like, oh, the female character is like, what about Seiki Joe? <laughs> like, come on. No, no, no. She doesn't lust over over her big brother. Yeah. It's not weird. Uh, it's, it's not weird. Sister fetish, man. You got to get into it. <laughs> so uh, we start the best written series at Shonen Jump this week with Kirisu's butt as she's talking about how uh, it's been really hard to clean. Uh, but Yuig is there to help her clean. And as he does so, he comes across a ticket for, <clears throat> quote, old timey amusement park, a ticket for two that uh, he's like. Huh? Why do you have this? Like, it's in the music park the next town over that went out of business. Why did she go? She's like, well, I was just busy with figure skating, so uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just throw it away. He's like, but it was for two. Do you were you to go with someone else? She was like, no, I bought it by accident. Shut up. What does it matter? Throw it away. And then she goes to trip. And then the best written series at Shonen Jump has her run boop first into Uega, and uh, through the process of getting hit with her bosom, uh, he goes back in time to uh what i guess is like 10 years earlier or so and uh is in the same position where he is underneath kirisu's chest uh but as she pulls away it is high school age kirisu 
high school even younger than uh, Yuiga Kirisu. So she she calls Yuiga senpai and stuff, and the and the age dynamic is reversed. And <gasps> so he's like, huh? Why? How did this happen? This is crazy. Uh, he's like, why does this girl look so much like Kira? Uh, why does she look so familiar? Wasn't I just at her apartment? And then he looks and he's like, hey. It's the amusement park that went out of business years ago, but he's distracted because Kirisu's little sister, uh, I can't remember her name, uh, she comes up and is trying to like be like, hey, you gotta get back to your class, gotta get back to your classes. So uh, Uega helps Kirisu get away and takes her all the way over to, quote, old-timey amusement park, a ticket for two. Ah, oh, but but how, how I thought this place was destroyed, and a newspaper blows in his face, and it says newspaper dated X years ago. And it's like I thought we knew how old they were. Why does it need to be X years ago? Can it say five years? Ago? Never mind. Yeah, anyway. it, it's, it's some time range of like five to eight years. But we know it. what year in high school she's in. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if we specifically do we know Karasu's age specifically. I guess not. I think you're right. I don't know. I would assume we, somewhere we, in her. You know what? While you go through this chapter, I'll see if we could actually find that. Go ahead. But. So, uh, Karasu is like, "Well, thanks for bringing me all the way here, but uh, you know, I'm kind of nervous. So, uh, would you accompany me? Because I've never done something like this before." So uh, they go together and they're riding the roller coaster and they're like, "This is pretty exciting." She's like, "Oh, yeah, hey. there's the coaster sound effect right there." Yeah, yeah the roller coaster sound effect, and uh, they get they're starting at the top. She's like, "Oh, hey, I noticed you're you're uh, you're, you're from my school. I judge it by the color of your tire. Actually, you're above me, so you're my senpai." And Yuiga's like, "That's kind of cute." Oh my god, what am I thinking? No, this is disaster. I gotta have to figure out how to get back in time. I have to. And uh, then she's like, hey, is this thing supposed to be uh, flipping up like this? And that's like her entire harness has gone up. So the best written series in Shonen Jump has you wake a grab onto her as then the roller coaster goes to the water and it splashes her search. So you can see her bra and it's like a sexy weird shot for some reason. Uh, oh, you know, she was just out on a you know general day out in, in town. So she wore her lacy bra. You know? As, yeah, a lot of 16-year-old girls presumably do. Uh, yeah, it's just how, you know. We don't need works. to consult any of the women in our audience about this. We know this. And we know that you just randomly wear lacy bras when you don't have to. You know? Sometimes I do too, Nick. You know, it's all about just, you know, being free when you go to the amusement park. I should note that, yes, I am aware that sometimes women just wear lacy bras because they feel like it. You don't need to add me about that. So... Uh, but you should at Benzai about it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Ask, ask for his opinion on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then they decide to go over to the haunted house and they're like, oh, because, uh, fucking Maharu's looking for them again. So like, we'll hide in the haunted yeah. house. And they're like, oh, this haunted house is, uh, not very scary. It's kind of shitty. Uh, but then at the very end, there's a bug. So Kirisu freaks out. It's the moth too, like a baby moth that like pops up. And she starts screaming, and there's a joke where, like, two people are walking by. They're like, oh, man, I don't know if we should go in that haunted house. It seems pretty terrifying. Uh, and then it's just, uh, it's, it's a, a, you know, collage of different moments where they're trying to hide from uh, Miharu. But, you know, it's kind of distracting from their, their fun. She's like, well, you know, I'm still having a fun day. They ride in a Ferris wheel. And she's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty strict if it was, you know, when it comes to training. So if it weren't for you... You know, I'm sure my sister would have, you know, she would have caught me and I would have gone back to just taking the, I wouldn't have done it, gone out in this fun day. So like Maharu eventually finds her and is like, yeah, you know, hey, uh, I guess when this ride's over, our time's done. 
And she's like, oh, hey, I got, I bought the uh, the photo from a roller coaster ride. And uh, she's like, oh, here, let me show it to you. And then she trips. And uh, the best written series of Shonen Jump has mm-hmm. uh, her Maharu's magic time-traveling boobs knock into Uega again. And then this time, it sends it back. Uh, and the end of the chapter is basically that Yuega is like, oh, it must have been a dream. Looks on the counter, sees the picture of the two of them at the park, but Biharu, or, uh, Kirisu, rather, was in the way of seeing who was seated next to her on the roller coaster. Because she was almost falling out of the roller coaster. Yeah. Because so her harness. You can't see it, but Yuega's like, hey, what's that? She's like, oh, you know, that just one time I ditched my skating lesson and went to a music park. I can't remember who I went with. Um, so I just want to note that, like, a month and a half ago, two months ago or so, we had a chapter where we never learned, confirmed that ghosts exist in its universe, and it was also a Kirisu chapter. We also have concrete evidence that time travel occurred, uh, again through the conduit of being smacked in the face with <laughs> Kirisu's boobs. Chris, we just got done talking for an hour about a series that ends with the universe resetting because time moved so quickly, so I'll buy it, you know? <laughs> I just didn't expect it in the we got to study our classes series. <laughs> all, all time travel theories are valid now. You can't complain about Endgame if you're going to say, like, no, there's a way that time travel works. Like, shut up. <laughs> I just didn't expect the right answer to be being smacked in the face with boobs. Obviously. Yeah, when you suffer such head trauma, you go back in time and you can rewrite reality. It's pretty cool. Dr. Stone's equals 113. Cryptography science. Uh, Last time, the crew were working on making a drone, and they have the motor put on this little RC car, basically, to test it out and also to communicate with the spy team. Uh, They dress it up to to look like a mouse and uh, send it into the village, and uh, Kohaku manages to grab it, of course, because, of course, she does. Uh, So they're like, all right, good. Uh, we We managed to get it. Uh, and, uh, then they're like, okay, we, we can send some sort of a message and get, and again, actually like, uh, communicates to them through Kaku's earpiece saying you guys can, can send an SOS letter for us if you need to. And so they're like, what's the letter? And Kaku's like, oh, 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 got it. Or rather Ginro is doing this. And he's like, letter. Ah, and he remembers back at, uh, the village, uh, Kinro was studying how to write. And so, uh, there's actually a Kilo moment where he's like practicing writing his his and Ginro's names in kanji. Uh, and he's like, look, I'm writing these and they, and say, Senku and the others fra, from his time can actually read these. And if you arrange them together, you can form them into a letter. And that way you can actually communicate without meeting face to face. And the people of our village would do well to learn this skill. And Ginro is like, fascinating. I shall endeavor to learn the art of writing as well. And Kinro's like, you'll study with me? As of standing a fellow as ever, Ginro. We're like, oh, good. So we can send a message to Senku. We can send him a, a letter about this. Right, Kohaku? And Kohaku's like, yeah, he made up that last panel. <laughs> it didn't happen, did it, Ginro? <laughs> Ginro's like, he remembers the real detail, which is him going, writing, who needs that crap? <laughs> Roman numerals that never even tried to teach us that in school. <laughs> He's like, ah, why am I, why am I me? <laughs> but Kohaku is like, ah, we can't abandon hope just yet. And she rips her skirt up a bit because she's going to 
I guess, need to move for this part. Well, I, think uh, I don't she, know. I think she ripped it, so she, that's where she got the cloth that she wrote the message. That's right, letter. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I thought it was like, I need to be able to move better at this stupid thing. <laughs> I need full uh, range of motions to write my letter. Yeah, I've got to, you know, do a full split whenever I write down. So I, I only write via parkour. <laughs> <laughs> Look on my knee pad for this. <laughs> anyway, they get a message back. Uh, the science team does with a scrap of cloth, and uh, it's got pictures on it—a pictogram. Uh, there is this kind of like paddle-looking thing, and then like a smear that's like an explosion, and then what is actually pretty obviously a picture of Hyoga with his spear, and then this kind of engine-looking thing. And uh, they're like, oh, right. All of them are illiterate, so they couldn't actually, you know, write a, you know, worded message. So, uh, Gen is like, all right, we'll get into this because, uh, you know, I can, you know, read people's personalities. And so that way will allow me to interpret the pictures in the message. Because Senku gives up pretty quickly. It's like, what is this fucking thing? An ice pop? Uh, Hyoga's going to take the ice pop and melt it with an what? So Gen's like, all right, let me take this. And so he analyzes like, OK, this thing is like a science beaker. So it's some sort of science terminology. Uh, oh, it's it's plastic. You know, the bit of plastic that uh, Chrome got before. And they analyze that uh, there are these different things here and there. It's like, oh, this could be a stain. Uh, yoga would be something that recognizes that inspires fear. But, well, no, it's Kohaku. She's not afraid of yoga. Uh, yoga is no good. That's what that means. The drawing is an engine. So uh, a tech device, uh, a machine. So then it's like if you take those words, you can take different parts of those words together. And then we just have to organize a few combinations of the different sounds together to make the actual message. We see that Kohaku was trying to communicate that the Soyuz space capsule was what she found in the tree. And that, of course, contains the key to them allowing to free everyone, which is platinum. And so if you take pla from plastic, ta from stain, no from no good, and m from machine, you get platinum. And somehow Gen gets this. Um... Yay! <laughs> sure, I could totally decide for that. <laughs> I mean, I do love that they use a previous reference of like plastic in a visual there, and like actually call back to the moment too. So you're like, okay, that's a cool, cool little touch. Um, the rest of it is in just just nonsense gibberish that you're like, sure, I guess he got that. I feel like this would take hours to figure out but you know whatever it, it, gen is an incredibly talented mentalist chris that's all that you need to know maybe it is what Korobo said he just pulled a jeff goldblum from south park where it, it was just like dinosaur dinosaur feces feces is brought out of the butt the butt has an asshole everyone has assholes jfk had an asshole the jfk assassination was fake <laughs> I guess it's just one of those things where, like, the characters are supposed to operate at a level so far above your own that you're supposed to just be like, yeah, OK, there's not enough to get that. But then if it's something that's like you have a bit more of an idea of how it's supposed to work, you're like, I don't think that that's actually possible that you would get that so immediately. <laughs> Honestly, the, the, the big thing is probably that it doesn't actually translate because this feels like way too specific of a message to actually translate. 
So this was probably the work of creative team that was like, how do we make this make sense in English without having to type a message at the bottom of the page? It's like, it makes sense in Japanese. I'm sorry, it just doesn't work. I, I imagine they put a lot of work in to try to be like, it makes sense. But I imagine like, probably like the yoga thing isn't just like, no good. It probably is something that has a bit more of a context to it where you can like see the puzzle kind of pull apart. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with like you would actually see the words and have the individual characters. And of course, each individual character in Japanese makes a sound. Mm. So that translates a little bit better than individual letters do, because then you can just have like, OK, you just need to have something that has a sound in it. And that's a bit, it's a bit more like uh, like charades where you take, you know, like, oh, it sounds like yeah. kind of. Yeah. So. I imagine that's probably what it is, but it's very so, amusing to sit there and him just be like, pla, pla. Will we take the pluff from plastic, the tough from stain, the, the tough from stain? <laughs> oh, well. So we're over to uh, Seven Deadly Sins then. Unforgivable Deadlock. Oh, sorry. I forgot. Well, I, I, I thought we, I didn't realize we actually got to the end of that chapter. All right. Yeah. Uh, Unforgivable Deadlock. There's actually not a ton to say in this chapter no. because last time we kind of discussed it, uh, Lodius is not willing to kill the demon lord while he's in Zeldris's body. He wants to save Zeldris, <laughs> and because of that demon lord's like, well, I win because my power is only getting stronger to the point where you will not be able to beat me anymore. So the demon lord's actually able to fight back on more even terms. Uh, Lodius hasn't lost yet, he's still no. actually kicking ass, but he's like, I'm not going to give up on you, and uh we see inside and kind of like the vision dream that he's stuck in on Gelda's lap. And it's actually a very sweet moment because he sits there and he's like, ah, oh, I was just thinking about my brother. And she's like, oh, well you, you feared Melodius that bad. Did you? He's like, no, I didn't. I feared my father. I kind of wish I had talked to him more and I wish I had, I had spoken to him. Not about like how to use a sword, how to kill, but like how to hunt and like, what outside places of the world were like, and what do you like to drink, and and about you, and about what kind of girl you are, you know. And I, kinda, I, was, I think that's very sweet. It, I wanted to talk to him about how much I cared about you. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> and it's just like just the nature of like, and just what he wanted to drink, like all these little things. He's like, I wish yeah. I had been able to talk to him like a brother would. So it's a very sweet moment. And of course, this is just a, an illusion of Gelda that's been created. So it's like, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. Who cares? Nuzzle in my that? bosom. Yeah, go go back in time. <laughs> and uh, we see that he's powering up and Melody's like, uh-oh, it seems like Zeldris is, is fading away. So mm. let's see what happens. This chapter does definitely go towards me more like, I mean, like, I think up until this moment, I was just like, I hope that, you know, Meliodas succeeds because he'll get his brother back if he succeeds. But this was the, a case where it's like, I, I do feel a lot for Zeldris in this chapter. And now I kind of I want Melios to succeed for him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it really does help to make him seem, you know, more likable because Zeldris was very much just like, you know, the dark douchebag version of Meliodas through so much of this series that emphasizing this aspect of his personality, which we've always known was there, uh, but never really got a lot of attention is the right call at this point. It's like, hey, you if the whole fight is going to be based around whether or not they can save Zeldris, you should care if they're going to save Zeldris. So, yeah. Promise Neverland, chapter 142, The Promise Made 1,000 Years Ago, part two. 
So uh, I was under the impression that uh, Rotri's like generals or whatever uh, had died in that huge battle that we saw. But no, they weren't there. Uh, so maybe that's so what they might still be alive. Then, Nick, is what yeah. you're saying. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> so uh, they are getting reports about uh, Grand Duke Louis appearing in the forest. And they're like, oh, we've got to go and find Rotri. We, he might be alive. We've got to hurry. Uh and at that moment, Rotri arrives and like, oh, oh, Julius, you're here. And Julius and Rotri like, I must speak with all of you. And uh, he tries to get them to reconsider the idea of making peace with the demons. But even Emma Guy, the one who proposed it, is now against it because, like, you know, having thought about it, it's it's not I don't think this is going to work. They're all raising different objections to the plan. Uh, he's like, we've got to end. He said he argues that they have to, you know, save humankind and this cycle of it killing is never going to end at this rate. So he's like, this is a necessary price. So please agree to this. And uh, they're like, well, what about all those people who have suffered up to this point? So what about the people who are going to be offered up? It'll continue forever for them, for their descendants. So all that we'll be doing is just, you know, basically giving ourselves peace of mind and we're going to enslave people forever. That's what your plan actually means. And they're talking about the people that they've lost. And they're like, look, you know, you fought so hard for the future we want. We never gave up. So why now? And he, you know, clutches his head and says, no, look, I'm enough of this. You know, we're just fighting for this dream that's never going to happen. What's wrong with abandoning those? We don't know for the sake of our comrades. I'm doing the right thing. And Emma guy says, then why do you look so troubled, Julius? You really don't want to abandon them either. You've always cared about the citizens and your soldiers. You're righteous and kind. That's why you feel more responsible than anyone and put so much pressure on yourself. But you were the one who wanted it most. Peace for all of humankind and victory without compromise. And so they say, look, we can't go along with this plan. What you need is rest. So just take a break. And he's like, no, this is for peace. It's the best option. I want you all to consent. And if you don't consent. All right. I see that. You're not going to change your mind. It's unfortunate. Truly regrettable. And a bunch of demons storming behind him. And basically, there's like, well, you weren't going to agree with me. So he had to betray them. And he says that he has already made the agreement with their queen. And uh, she agreed to it, accepted the proposal. And uh, Roger says, forgive me. You will all get in the way of peace. Therefore, although I'm reluctant to do this, you will be the first humans to be offered as food. And he gets this kind of insane smile on his face and he says, you will become the foundation of peace. And he's telling himself, this is the correct path. Someone must be sacrificed. Someone must finish this. We can finally end this. The world will be saved. We will be saved. And we cut ahead as presumably all of his friends are eaten. And they himself and I believe the queen of the demons uh, are the ones meeting in front of Blah. And uh, he, of course, agrees to the wish that they make in order to make the promise. And he says, but I would like a reward. And uh, he, Roger remembers that he's been told by the queen that he has to ha uh, accept the condition, has to uh, t uh, accept the price that he sets. And so uh, Blah says to Everk. You must give me the best meat you harvest each year. You're going to create humans at your farms, and I want better meat than what you or the royal family eats. And Iverk agrees, and then he turns to Julius, and he's like, yes, I'm okay with it. Ask for anything. Even if you want my life, I'll take it. And he says, 
you're the gatekeeper. You are the mediator. You will maintain peace between the two worlds so that both species will keep the promise you made with the queen. You won't be at ease unless the human side does it, right? That's why you, a human, and your clan will take on this role forever. That's right. You and your descendants are caught in the whirl of destiny. You can't escape, neither from the friends you abandoned nor from your destiny. You will also become the foundation of peace. So, you played yourself, Rotri. <laughs> Uh, and it's karma, like seriously, like you, know, you wanted to get away from all this shit. It's like, nope, you have to deal with it forever. That's uh, what you get for betraying your ideals and betraying your friends. So now Emma, of course, is the only one uh, meeting with this figure. Uh, and uh, he again asks for a reward in return for the wish he's going to make. And uh, she's like, I can't tell at all what it's thinking or what it wants. It's like a whimsical God. And he actually is kind of upfront with her saying, I want something important as the reward. Ambition, desire, longing. If I'm going to get something, I prefer that person's dearest thing. And Emma looks put off by a little bit. And he says, even so, do you still want it? What is it that you want? And Emma remembers a conversation that Ray had with them saying, like, look, you cannot override a promise with him. You cannot break a promise with him. And you cannot reject the reward. The promise from a thousand years ago was to split the world. So with that in mind, our wish could be simple. Just two things. And Emma says, what I want is for all the children in the farms to go to the human world. And I also want to make it impossible for anyone to travel between the two worlds. And the figure smirks with a sound effect because you couldn't see him smirking through his mask. And says, I shall grant that wish. Hmm. So this seems like a, a really easy way to have Emma take on all of the burden of this promise, doesn't it? Um, like, I get this really uneasy feeling that she's basically going to not be allowed to be with her family that she's worked so hard to protect. Um, I guess we'll see. Maybe the whimsical God will be like, well, you're doing this for noble reasons, so he will reward that. Or maybe he'll just be a little douche and be like, OK, your family can go to the other world, but you have to stay here. It, it might be something like that. Uh, I feel as though part of the punishment with Farachi was meant to be a karmatic punishment. <laughs> so maybe Emma's kind of more selfless request will be in there. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm one curious to see how this is going to boil out in like a philosophical manner. Of because this, this series has dealt with a lot of themes of war and consumption and prejudice, and I'm I'm curious by what seems to be perceived as the solution of the series is like complete and one hundred percent like isolation segregation from each other, and I know that this is a fantasy series, so there's a ton of different factors that play into it, but I'm curious to see how that's going to play out, like to see where this series is going to place its like kind of you know it, its final foot down this answer this you know promised neverland what the answer to that actually is going to be uh, but i think there's still way too much of the story for anything here to feel concrete like i i feel like it's not going to be the little guys like you're gonna have to stay here forever and emma just has to sit out of the big final conflict that's about to happen mm. as norman and his buds like storm the whole reverie or whatever it's called so I feel like nothing that happens at this point is actually concrete until that conflict has kind of been dealt with. 
Yeah, and we'll see. Uh, I, I am curious to see not just what he asked for in return, but also how long we have to wait to find out. Like it might, it could be the next chapter or it could be that we could have waited something else and don't find out until a pivotal moment much later. Um, it could be anything. Um, it, it seems like it would be an ideal time to be like, and now you have to wait after after that cliffhanger, bitches. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. All right. Uh, let's move on to Black Clover. Yeah, Chris. Let's end the series. Let's end uh, weekly manga recap this week by discussing. No one piece this week, yes. Yeah, by discussing Black Clover page 212, Destiny's End. So they killed the devil. And Pretty much. As the devil's dying, he sees the other devil, the devil that's inside of Asta. And what? that one. You're not supposed to know that, Chris. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to go out and get a limited guess then. Still in. Uh, and uh, that devil refers to the one that's just been killed as an elder. So this must be a younger dragon. And he just mocks him the entire time, says, it's a pleasure to meet you. Ah, you don't need to know who I am. You know, it doesn't matter because you're a loser and now you're going to die. Goodbye. And the, the devil uh, disappears from this world. And everyone's like, we won. Huzzah. Uh, but everything's not perfectly safe quite yet because all of those leech monsters are still around and they are destroyed, etc. And the light magic that's been protecting them is slowly fading away. So they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? You know, Lumiere's like, I, I want to keep using my magic, but I'm kind of at my limit. I don't think I'm going to be able to hang on much longer. Uh, but they're all saved because of... Not Radays, but the guy who's with Radays, whose name I just will not remember for the life of me. Uh, he uses his spatial magic to teleport everybody basically to the same space. Um, we also kind of abruptly close together that it's like, and uh, Yami and his group found the two criminals who escaped. And I'm like, what the fuck? They better have stolen like Satan's butthole. Out they of did there something like, <laughs> like they better have stolen something or done something. I they, they have to have done something or else the entire subplot was completely fucking pointless because all they did was just run away for like four chapters. Um, so, yeah, uh, they, they're all safe and they're like, hey, let's get out of here. Yeah, um, there's a small moment where Lumiere kind of looks over. He's like, look at all these cool people with different spells and different abilities. <laughs> it really seems like Cover Kingdom's in good hands. It's like, uh, sure, I guess it's steeped in just classism and prejudice. But <laughs> I guess you, you met, like, I guess you met 12 of the people there. You've decided it's all perfect. Well, like Lumiere goes on to, you know, the afterlife after this and he sees the wizard king there. And he's like, so, yeah, there was this kid, you know, it's like his father died. And, uh, oh, oh, did you like take him in? Is it? No, no, I just kind of I liked his dad. But, you know, I'm just, did you like say anything to him? Well, you know, it's just never got around to did it. Did you ensure where he went afterwards? Oh, you know, I kind of lost track of him and he like was operating under like false names and stuff. And look. I'm really bad with kids, okay? They just make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I wasn't going to be about to say, like, you know, sorry your dad died or anything, because then he would cry, and then I would, you know, be left there having to, like, comfort him, and just, it's, look, I I know I'm the Wizard King, but there's some magic that I can't perform, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, 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 so. Anyway, yeah, he, 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 he hates all nobles now, basically. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, I guess the only other thing that's worth noting is also a character, because when 
uh, guy who's with Rade saves them. Rade is right next to him. And they're like, you didn't do anything. And he points to right. Guess is like pointing to right. He's like, you didn't do anything. And he's like, I'll do stuff when I want to. And uh, that's basically. That's how you get around that kind of stuff. Good, good writing. Yeah. Good writing right there, man. Uh, Patry does say there are still things I must do. And he's thinking about William Vanchance. Uh, so, yeah, we'll. Um, this is an odd chapter, honestly. Uh, just in terms of like the place that it ends, like the kind of pacing that occurs uh, throughout it, uh, how it begins going to where it ends. It's like the action falls as opposed to builds. And that's kind of weird for uh, for a chapter of, of manga. I know that we just came off of like the con- the climax of the big battle. So it's going to be a little weird no matter what you do. But it also seems like there's a lot that we have to do in order to wrap things up. There's all the elf possession that's still going on. They're still in danger while this, I guess, facility is collapsing around them. And uh, it's like, okay, I guess we'll do this now. Um, it, It feels as though the high point of the action is kind of being artificially extended a little bit in order to allow some more stuff to happen. Um, And it just kind of feels odd overall. It's it's not like any particular thing that happens in him. They're just like, oh, that's stupid. It's, like, it's kind of like, oh, this is a little weird. Anyway, that's going to do it for the manga this week, guys. So uh, what did you uh, like about this week, Chris? What was your favorite series in your MVP? Uh, my hero gets best chapter. Okay. Uh, Zeldris, cool. for the sake of not being able to give it to Kirisu's time-traveling boobs. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it to the exact same two things, so there you go. Uh, I thought that My Hero Academia had a really good chapter. Uh, it definitely made me have the most emotional reaction this week, and I thought that uh, Zeldris, you know, like I said, you, you need that emotional connection in order to care about him getting Zayd. Otherwise, just going to be like, well, look at this. Just win. Come on. Okay. So. All right. That is going to do it for the Kamaga Recap this week, guys. Thank you for joining us here on Twitch.tv slash RollerT, SmashCast.tv slash RollerT, where we record the show live Wednesdays, generally around 730 to 8 Eastern time. Uh, if you need to, you can also follow us on Twitter, though, to find out when exactly we are going to be recording the show and where. Uh, at Rolo T, at Nick F. Time are your two hosts. At WMR Podcast is the official podcast account. You can also check out our Discord server. Do all sorts of stuff like, uh, you know, just provide your own feedback, discuss the, mo- discuss the podcast. There's also other bunch of side channels that you can do. Uh, check out the uh, Google Doc that Ninja X3i has made where we keep track of all of our recommendations, past series we've covered. Uh, it's a very valuable tool. You can even participate in voting for the MVP for the series of the week for the superlative awards that are going to be announced at the end of 2019. Uh, all sorts of stuff. It's a very handy doc if you are a WMR listener. Do we have uh, results on the week of poll this week, uh, too? Do you know? The what poll? The MVP and the favorite oh, chapter. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, the chapter of the week was My Hero Academia and Riendosuke from uh, last uh, Sayuki was the winner. I can totally see that. With the, uh, you know, big little speech he gives, the cool moment where he manages to get inside of the gate, and uh, also just taking the master off guard by being like, I kissed your daughter! Fuck yeah. you! There were a lot of votes also for Shigaraki and uh, Ratri as well, which yeah. makes sense. 
I almost gave it to Rotri just for the quite, left quite an impression mm-hmm. in this chapter, I'll say. Anyway. Uh, Speaking of recommendations you can make in the Google Doc, uh, the one that we are making for this uh, coming time is going to be uh, Yagate Kimi Ninaru, which uh, means... Oh, God. What does it fucking mean? Bloom into you. It's a lesbian romance series. Oh, shit. People are going to be so excited. Like, you guys don't read enough gay stuff. And I was like, let's get on that. Yeah. I sent a letter all the way up to the tippy top. I was like, gay stuff for you guys. Yeah, I, I can't. Exactly. What, what's Yuri? That's it. I, I could call Yuri. it gay stuff because I couldn't. I was like, it's not Yowie. Yowie's with his boys. <laughs> the other one. And I couldn't remember the other name. So I was like, gay stuff. Uh, it's about a girl in high school who uh, is really into shoujo manga. She wants to have someone confess to her in a way that leaves her heart thumping. But she's had a guy confess to her and she didn't feel anything from it. She sees this cool senpai who gets confessed to and uh, rejects him really, uh, really well, really calmly. And she's like, how do you do that? Because I don't know how to handle this. And she kind of walks her through rejecting the guy that she didn't have, have feelings returned for. And then all of a sudden the girl that helped her through it confesses that she seems to be falling for the protagonist so mm. quite romantic so uh we'll see how that goes and uh have it back uh shortly to you guys Um, and of course remember that we're not too far away now from getting into sadistic september we've got only a month and a half to get there i I have an idea for what we could do if we don't get a better suggestion because it this is where if you want to send something for Sadistic September, you need to find something that's just outright fucking heinous garbage uh, that nobody wants to read. I have an idea if we can't find anything, but it's not going to be near the levels of what Flame of Rekka and those ones were. But those were personal ones. So right. We There's no find the we're next running out freeze. of series that we have deep personal connections and hatred towards. So it's going to need to be something that's a little bit more like just objectively awful. Yeah, we need, that a, lasts free- a, long we need time. a freezing guy. Someone find us a new freezing. <laughs> if if like if freezing it would be a perfect example because it's one long running and two outright shit. So <laughs> Alright guys, it's gonna do it. Um I don't have anything to close out with. Special me. thanks to all the people who help us out with the show. Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap, Steve Mayer, Tyrocard Artist. Uh, infamous planet and Winsdale's cheddar and oh fuck I have completely Mil- forgotten Milo his name. Stilts. Milo Stilts for making the opening sequence for us. Thank you guys so much. Milo Stilts might as well be a Pokemon name to me now, Nick, because Milo Stilts. <laughs> that's all I can remember now when it comes down to it. Did I tell you? Uh, so uh, Magic Gathering uh, has been done in many different countries. They have diff- many different cards, and I passed by a guy who was playing a card that was called Sage. Da Las Suarez or something like that. And I looked at it, I was like, ooh, Sage of the Hours. And, he's, and the guy who was playing was like, that's right, my boy. And I was like, I fist pumped. I was like, yeah, all those years of Spanish finally paid off. He looked at me, he's like, it's French, my dude. I just give up. I was going to do it, everybody.